This is a message from the audio library of Revival Tabernacle. It is our hope that it will inspire your confidence in our holy God and the plan of salvation as revealed in his holy scriptures. The blessings of Christ be upon you as you listen. We are going to look at several different things today. And the title of the message is When God Gives Help. Little four letter word like help is very important in the scripture. And you can see from Psalm 122, or excuse me, Psalm 121, verse 2, it says, My help comes from the Lord. Now, we all need to have a source of help and assistance. You need to know where to go when you need some kind of assistance. And the psalmist tells us here that it all begins with God. But I want to also tell you it continues with God and it ends with God. He's the terminating point for any kind of help you're going to need in any trial. So let's turn now to Psalm 23 and then we're going to have a word of prayer. Psalm 23, we're going to look at several things here. We're going to the Lord in prayer now. Father, we are grateful today to have this opportunity to see all these lovely faces, to have our family and friends out in the parking lot with us today. For a few moments as we minister the word, I pray that something would be said to encourage each man and woman, boy and girl, under the sound of my voice. And it's our desire, Lord, to see your hand at work in the midst of our lives. We thank you for so loving the world that you gave your only begotten son. We're so grateful that he loved the world enough to die on the cross for our sins. And that having borne our sins, we could trust in him, knowing that having been raised from the dead, we also have been born again unto new life. So let us take this message and apply it in Jesus' mighty name, and everyone said, Amen. I want to show you in this message this morning how God is able to provide for us help in the valley. He's also able to provide for us help from the hills. And that we're also able to find help in the sanctuary. There's no place you can go on this earth where God can't reach you. There's never been any trial or any problem that you've ever faced that's been greater than the God that you serve. And because you placed your faith in him, you have the expectation that regardless of where you are, he is here, he is there, he's nearby, he is within you to help you. And the Bible says, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Now, Psalm 23 is the great shepherd psalm. This is the one in which we learn that because he supplies our needs, we don't have to worry about having any wants. And you may think that you still have some wants, but I'm, I'm telling you right now, you're not lacking anything that you need in your life. You've got vehicles, you've got clothing, you've got warmth, you have food in your cupboards, you're gainfully employed. But the scripture says here that because of the shepherd, people can find green pastures, steel waters, restoration, paths of righteousness. But notice verse four. 
Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Now what is a valley? It's a depressed area of land that typically is surrounded by hills or mountains. It's because of the fact it's on a lower level that we think of it as a valley. A valley, of course, in this context, is a place that's meant for passing through. There are folks in the Old Testament that built their homes and their villages in the valley. In fact, in Judges chapter 1, verse 19, it says regarding the children of Israel, the Lord was with Judah. He drove out, drove out the inhabitants of the mountain, but could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley because they had chariots of iron. So there are people that camp out in the valley. Sometimes that is a good place to live. But for our message here in verse 4, you can see that it's in the valley where you have the shadow of death. And what we want to emphasize is that as you're passing through this particular kind of scenario, you are not to stay there. You are to pass through. God provides an exit just like an entrance has been provided. And when he says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, all of us have to pass through this. There's never been a man or woman that hasn't had to pass through this particular valley. You say, when do we pass through it? Have you ever lost a good friend? Have you ever lost a loved one? Somebody that meant something to you. When you had to bury your mother or your father or your child or cousin or best friend, you had to sit there and listen to that eulogy and stand at that graveside. You were passing through a valley that so many others have had to pass through. Ever since Adam and Eve, death has been in this world. And from Adam and Eve until now, we've all had to deal with it. Some of us have to deal with it in greater measures than others. I've met people who didn't bury a family member that they could recall for the first 35, 40 years of their lives. Grandma, grandpa, great-grandparents lived long lives. But then there are other people, it seems like the life that they have had to live and the road that they traveled has put them at the cemetery from the time of eight, nine, ten years of age every other year. They've lost so many people. But the scripture here is very clear. That shadow is going to lay its hand upon you and it's going to lay its hand upon me. But the Bible says, even in the presence of the valley and the shadow, I won't fear any evil. So I'm not going to be afraid of what the devil can do. You shouldn't be afraid of anything the devil brings into your life. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of love, power, and a sound mind. Well then, pastor, why are so many people afraid of evil and afraid of the valley and afraid of the shadow? Well, they're afraid because they haven't built their faith in God. The scripture says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word will keep you from trembling in the valley. It will. Now, trials, tests, and tribulations come to me just like they come to you. But our response, as we see here in verse 4, should be not one of fear, but one of courage. Yeah, not afraid of evil. 
There is evil in this world, a lot of bad things that take place, and, and we're shocked and surprised by what we see, sometimes by the people that commit certain crimes and certain evils. But here's what the scripture says, don't be afraid of the evil. Now they have these, these channels on television where they have one documentary after another of some brutal crime or some serial killer and they're trying to solve the cases and stuff like that. Now, if you're going to sit around and day and night watch that, you're going to have a hard time going to sleep at night. Yeah, because you, you, you're going to be thinking there are people dreaming of ways to get into your house and probably nobody even thinking about getting in your house. But, but you, you're going to imagine in your mind that every neighbor is peeking through your curtains and, and you're going to think every time you get into the, the mood to go shopping, when you go out to the car that from your door to your garage, there's somebody out there with a pickaxe just waiting to get at you and you're going to be totally paralyzed by fear. That's what fear does. Fear paralyzes people. If you don't believe me, look at this last year. Look at this last year. It absolutely paralyzes people to the point where they don't want to live. They don't see the irrational aspects of their life. They, they don't mind going to a Walmart where there are 400 people there, but they're totally terrified of standing on the street corner. If somebody's going to be near them, they might cough on them. You'll see people drive down the road, nobody in the car but them themselves, and, and hear just one person riding down the highway, and then you look, and you see some person got double masks on because they imagine that there's something in that atmosphere that's going to come through the air into the car, and it's going to bother them. Folks, listen to me. I'm telling you, you serve a God that's greater than anything in this world, and you don't have to live in fear. It's not the plan of God. Now, we've all had colds. Some have had the flu and every other kind of thing. I've had malaria. I've had uh, amoeba dysentery. I've had all kind of stuff in this world. But I always knew in the end I had to keep living. I had to keep preaching the gospel. See, That's what I'm getting at. So the valley is there and it may be in front of you, it may be beside you, but however you're affected by it, you still should pass through it. God doesn't want you to build a campsite there and be there for the rest of your life. Keep putting one foot in front of the other. And here is why. Because you, Lord, are with me. Now, what does that look like in your everyday life? If you believe that God is with you, what does that look like? What does it look like? Our world today is living as though God is far from them. They don't seem to understand that the presence of God produces fullness of joy at his right hand of pleasures forevermore. If I remove the presence of God, then I should be afraid. I don't have a choice. You take away the presence of God, you remove from me comfort. I don't have the ability to believe that God's going to help me. But let me give you further illustration about this. The children of Israel one time were going to war with the Philistines. And the Philistines had amassed a very mighty army with vast numbers of people. And so the children of Israel had the idea, let's get the Ark of the Covenant and bring the Ark into our midst. So they sent for the ark, and that's exactly what they did. The priests came, 
And they were bearing the ark. And as the ark got closer to the camp of the Israelites, then it says they started shouting and screaming because they were rejoicing. They were so happy that the noise rung through the heavens and the Philistines trembled and said, oh, my goodness, what is happening over there on the Israelite side? They said, well, their God has come into their midst. They brought the ark and the Philistines said, OK, we got to fight better and stronger because their God is on their side. Once the battle commenced, the scripture says the Philistines wore out the Israelites. He said, how did that happen? Well, the Israelites hadn't been living in accordance with the word and the will of God. And so even though they had the ark, they didn't have the presence. God didn't come down in the midst of them. And you can have a Bible and you can have all kinds of things in your home. You, you can have old church pews and you can have old chairs from when you attended service when you were a kid and have it all stacked in your house. But you can have all of that and still not have the presence of God. Memorabilia doesn't bring the power and the presence of God into your life. You have to know that as you're walking through the valley that he is with you. You've got to cultivate that presence. And this is what the children of Israel failed to do sometimes. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Now, if I'm going to find comfort, I need to find it in God. There are a lot of things in this world that I will, you know, confess are disheartening. I, I don't like when... Uh, people's bodies are wrecked with these terrible diseases. And when, when Tiff and I travel and we see kids with ringworm in their scalp or, or babies that were born with AIDS because of their parents' conditions or have to see so many orphans or poor regions in this world, that, that doesn't comfort me. One time we were driving through a section of Nairobi, Kenya, and I think they wanted to stop and buy me a suit from over there. And we were in an area where there had to be a million people compacted in an area that could not have been more than 20 or 25 blocks. Just people everywhere. Trash, rubbish, refuse, everywhere. But they told us, we want to be careful as you're walking around here because here's where you have a lot of that flying refuse and stuff. You got buildings that have never been completed and you have homeless people living up on these third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth floors that have no exterior walls where people can stand on the outside and just look right down at you. Well, these people, they don't have any running water or toilets, so a lot of these folks would fill up a plastic bag as they would use the bathroom, and rather than going to a gr any place to just dump it, they just throw it from the eighth floor down on the street somewhere, and hundreds and hundreds of people just walking by, and you just see stuff hitting the ground. Folks, there's no comfort in that. However... As a believer, I knew that as I'm passing through this, I knew that God was yet with me. And in so many places where I've gone, dangerous places where we've ministered the gospel of Jesus Christ, I've had to trust that the king was with me. His rod and his staff was there to comfort me. Don't ever forget that. 
The presence of God in your life is a reality. And if you hold fast to that truth, you'll be able to know that God will never leave you, nor will he forsake you. When you get in that car and you take a trip with the family, you believe God is with you on that trip. I don't care what town you're passing through, what exit you get off in, how bad it looks. You believe that God is with you to preserve you. Now turn back to Psalm 121 now. Notice the first verse. Here's what the psalmist said. I will lift up my eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. Now, you may have a small superscription above this psalm that says a song of degrees. The psalms were the Israelites' ancient hymn book. These series of psalms here in this area were the songs they would sing as they were ascending the mountain, going to the temple to sacrifice and to worship. And can you imagine thousands of people going up the hill and these are the words they're singing. I'll lift my eyes to the hills. Now they have a history of warfare, a history of battles. Israel was a nation that was surrounded by nations that weren't too keen on them. And certainly they had a lot of people in these territories that they had to battle with. But the key is to be able to lift your eyes. Now, we know the English word circumstances comes from Latin, which means those things that are standing around you. So circum, circumference. We're thinking about something circular, but something that stands so when you're surrounded by problems and surrounded by trouble, we tend to focus on what's right here at eye level. We focus on our trial. We focus on our problem. But the scripture makes it very plain here in verse one. At some point, you've got to lift your eyes to the hills that are greater than your problem. Because your help comes from your heels. That's where your victory comes from. That's where your liberty and your independence is going to come from. So rather than focusing on the problems that stand around you, get your eyes on someone that's taller, stronger, greater, better, bigger than your problems. Can you say amen? There's no doubt about it, folks. No doubt about it. If all you're going to do is keep your eyes focused on the, the little minuscule things that are in this world causing us problems, you're never going to be able to lift your eyes to the heels. And the heels is where your, your troubles are going to be dealt with. So victory comes from God. And as you can see there in verse one, it's from there that my help derives. Now we have the story of a gentleman by the name of Elisha. And Elisha had a servant whose name was Gehazi. And this young man wasn't the best servant. He certainly wasn't the most spiritual servant. But one day he got up early in the morning to go down to the well, I imagine, to bring a bucket of water back for his master so he could wash his face and his feet and whatever. And when he made that little stroll down there to the well, on his way back, he just happened to look up and there are all of these soldiers that have infiltrated the village. And of course, 
Being afraid, he quite naturally started walking faster to get back to Elisha, the prophet's house, because he didn't want to be caught out there. Those men did not look like they had come to ask for Elisha's autograph. And they did not look like they had come because they wanted to have a fellowship meal. They had anger on their faces. They were in chariots. They had staffs, bows and arrows and swords. And they looked like they had come for a battle. So that, that servant runs in the house. He said, Elisha, I'm telling you, we've got trouble here in River City. And there, there are people everywhere. And these people have not come to ask for your help. And Elisha said, young man, you do not have to worry. There are more of us than there are of them out there. He goes back to that window, moves them curtains back, sees thousands of them. He looks at, at Elisha and him is only two. He said, I don't know who you're looking at, but I'm telling you, there are not more of us than there are of them. And then Elisha just kind of stepped away on his own and he prayed. And he said, God, open the eyes of the servant so he could see. He said, look out that window again. That young man looked out that window and this time he's not looking at all the soldiers here on the ground. He can see up there in the mountains on the sides of the hills, thousands of God's angels and chariots of fire. And I mean, Gehazi, he was like, yes, let's get ready to rumble. Let's fight. See, see, so vision has everything to do with changing our emotions. If you can lift your eyes and realize that God is on your side, it doesn't matter what you're facing, but it does matter what you're focusing on. If you can see God in the circumstance, God can bring deliverance for you. He'll do it. And don't ever believe because you're outnumbered in the natural that you're outnumbered in the spiritual realm. If God is for you, who can be against you. Well, I can tell you nobody can be against you. There's no enemy that's stronger than God. Once the Lord lays his hands upon you, wonderful things can take place. So he says here in verse two, my help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. Anybody that can make the heaven and the earth, surely he can handle your trial. Come on, folks. Think about that. If, if he can hang the stars in the sky, if God is strong enough to put all of these things in motion, then you don't have to worry about God going back on his word. For thousands and thousands and thousands of years, the sun has been rising and setting. For thousands and thousands and thousands of years, the stars in the heavens have been appearing at night. See, nothing has changed at all. The seasons have changed because of the mighty presence and the anointing of God. So I will lift my eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. What are you looking at today? Who are you focusing on today? Is your heart settled or is it troubled? Do you have your mind saturated with the word of God or are you trusting the king? That is the important thing. So the Bible is clear. Trust, trust, trust the Lord. Verse four, behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. God's not going to sleep 
on you. I'm hearing this from the Lord today. Trust in me, saith God, and you'll find that my hand is ever present and strong enough to bear you up above all of your circumstances. But turn from the adversary, submit yourself to me, and I will raise you up, saith God. Almighty God, we worship you and bless your name and honor you and worship you this morning, God. How wonderful you are. Just lift your hands right now. Begin to worship the King. Father, we love you. Your presence means everything to us in this place. Thank you for your anointing that breaks and destroys every yoke, God. We take authority over any spirit of fear. We command it to leave in the mighty name of Jesus, God. May it be replaced with boldness. Baptize all of us with a spirit of power and faith, oh God, to trust in you right now, God. There's no one like you, God. No one like you, God, in all of the earth. Oh God, we love you. Praise you, Jesus. 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 Oh, God. Oh, God. Father, you're worthy of the praise, God. We bless your name, Jesus. How wonderful you are, God. We worship you and thank you because there's no one like you in all of the earth, God. Oh, God, let this fellowship be a place, oh, God, the habitation of your Holy Ghost, God, to love you, to know you, God. To love you is to know you, God, because the more we get to know you, the more we want to love you, and the more we love you, the more we want to get to know you, God. Oh, Jesus, 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 Jesus. My God, my God, worship your name, oh, God. Worship your name, O oh God. Our Heavenly Father provides help in the valley, folks. This great God also provides help from the hills. No doubt about it. Look in Psalm 73, you can find also he provides help in the sanctuary. In Psalm 73, the scripture is clear. Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. That's Psalm 73, verse 1. This musical man by the name of Asaph is the one writing this. He was a musician, skillful, able to play multitudes of inf instruments, able to prophesy through stringed instruments, and operating as a prophet of God, the scripture tells us. But he acknowledged that God is good to Israel. If he was good to Israel, folks, he's good to his church. He's good to his church. God has not turned his back on you. He hasn't turned his back on me. Israel had a covenant with God. We have a covenant with God through Christ. God is good to me. He's good to you. However you may feel about that sometimes. You may be discouraged with what you're passing through, but the goodness of God still reaches out to touch you and to embrace you. Listen to the psalmist in verse 2. As for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped, for I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He said, I was at a point in my life where I was ready to backslide. I was ready to turn my back on God. 
I wondered whether or not God knew my address or cared about what I was passing through. Does he even care about my children? My prayer request. He said, I was at a place where I was about to slip away from God because I'm tired of seeing the wealthy people take advantage of the poor. Nothing happens to them. He said, I'm tired of, tired of the prideful and vain people that seem to prosper in this world. And he goes on and on, verse after verse, talking about this, saying it's everywhere. We see it. Look at Capitol Hill. We've got two states, California and New York that have more representatives between those two states than any other state in the union, and yet those two states do everything they can to try to impose their values on the rest of the nation. And in arrogance and in pride, whenever they have a microphone under their nose, they're talking about what needs to be done, what should be done. They want to tell us what we can eat. They want to tell us whether or not we should have salt whether or not we should have sugar. They want our kids to eat whatever it is. They want them to eat all kinds of administrative things that they bring into the world to impose it upon people. And you find the pride and the arrogance is terrible. Look at Hollywood. These people don't live lives of virtue. They know they don't live lives of virtue. And this is why with their agents and through their culture, they create a very non-offensive environment. Don't use any language that would produce shame or embarrassment. Derogatory terms are discarded because they don't want to ever have to feel bad about the lifestyles that they live. Some of them change spouses more than I change clothes. It's that kind of a culture. But it's irrational, it's not logical. You can't use certain words in defining certain people or describing certain people. And I don't have any issue with that. They aren't good words anyhow. However, you can still turn that television on and where they have banned certain words, you can still see where one man or woman will call one another a, a female dog over and over again. It's illogical. The whole thing is a mess. And so Christians and people are wondering, God, do you even care about what's taking place in this nation? Are you considering us that are here in this world? Are you thinking about those in Europe or Australia or Africa, Papua New Guinea? Does God even think about anybody on the island of Macau? Folks are asking these questions and they read the same verses that we read, but they read them in accordance with where they live. And so many have slipped away and backslid and walked away from God because of the trouble that they have seen. But notice what the psalmist said in verse 13. He said, verily, I had cleansed my heart in vain. I washed my hands in innocency for all the day long. I've been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say I will speak in this manner, behold, I should offend against the generation of my children. And when I thought it thought to know this, that it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Here is where help comes from in the sanctuary. We come to the house of God. We hear the word of God and we understand the end. We see the end. 
that the terminal point for many people is a place without God and they don't even know it. Folks, think about the reality of this. Our wonderful God made heaven. Heaven is a place of eternal bliss. And the Bible says that one day we'll sit down in the kingdom of God with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Talks about a city within heaven that's, you know, four square. And one day that city is going to descend, as the Bible teaches. Talks about streets of gold, the throne of God surrounded by beings that are saying, holy, holy, holy unto the Lord God Almighty. They believe that there's coming a time when they'll reign on earth again with Christ, as it says in Revelation. When we think about heaven, we know it's a lovely place to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. We understand that one day we're going to smile and see him face to face who we have not seen physically. What a joy that's going to be. That's your end. That's my end. But it's not the same for people that don't know God. Because the same God that made heaven is also the same God that made hell. Oh, goodness. Awful place. Awful. I understand why people in this world don't want you to believe in God. They don't want you to believe in judgment. They don't want you to believe a place called hell exists. I understand that. If we can banish the thought from our minds and we can banish from our minds any kind of psychological uh, reflex or impulse that will cause us to believe that on the other side of our last breath is a place of outer darkness. And I'm telling you this morning, folks, if we could pull back this rug and God could open up the earth and give us a glimpse of what hell looks like, we'd be on our face bawling and squalling and crying and screaming, saying, oh God, keep me from that. If God were to go out of his way and say to one person, burning in hell right now, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond again to some old-fashioned altar call or to believe in me, I promise you right now, in a split second, that place would be emptied because everybody would want out. But the Bible makes it very plain. Whosoever's name is not written in the Lamb's book of life ultimately is going to be cast into hell and into the lake of fire. I want my name written down in glory. And it is. Yeah, and it is. That name was written down, and the Bible says in Revelation, to him that overcomes, I will not blot out his name out of this book. There's nothing going on in this earth that's so important to me it's going to cause me to turn my back on God. Yeah. Now, don't misunderstand me. I've sat through many a funeral myself listening to preachers put people into heaven that I know never in their life lived one ounce of a graceful life at all. But trying to soothe the consciences of a whole lot of people, it led folks to believe folks are somewhere that they're not. But I really believe when we get to heaven, we'll probably be surprised at how many folks made it that we didn't think we're going to make it. Yeah. And I think we'll probably be just as shocked to realize that there's some folks we thought were going to make it that we're not going to see again. Ever again. Yeah. 
It's important to know that help comes from the sanctuary. When we come to the house of God, the word of God comes to fortify us, to edify us, to encourage us in the things of God. You need to be built up for the times in which we live. What are you going to do if one day you've got a job as a public servant or you're dealing with a large number of people in the public and the law is passed and they want to know what kind of a church you attend. Imagine. I can see that day coming, folks. I mean, they already have laws on the books here in these United States where preachers can't say certain things from the pulpit. Otherwise, it's called hate speech. You probably didn't know some of that was already in in the books, but it is in California for sure. A preacher can't even get up and call people and ask them to turn from their their ways and and come and accept the, the biblical view of marriage because they say if you do that, you can be arrested. Imagine that. I just had a friend text me this morning and said, Brother Daryl, pray for us. Our church is being attacked on Facebook because of our stance toward biblical marriage. Oh, my, look at this. One preacher in America was thrown off of television for simply reading Leviticus chapter 18. See, it's a coming because it's here. It usually starts in Europe, makes its way to Canada, floats downstream to us, and we have to deal with it. We come to the house of God because here we learn about the end. What's going to happen in the end? One day the trumpet of God is going to sound. Yeah, yeah, trumpet of God is going to sound. I hope it's in the middle of a church service. You know, I'll be up here preaching, telling folks about the king. I'll take that next step, and Pastor Darrell's going to be airborne. I mean, I'll be gone. You folks can hold on to the hymn books and do whatever you want down here. I'm gone. People say, well, pastor, what are you pre-trip, mid-trip, post-trip? Look, folks, catch the first plane out of here, heading upwards to be with the king. But when that trumpet sounds and the believers are gone, and that's when the Bible says that Jesus is going to make his way to the father's throne where he's holding that book with them seals on it. And then he's going to open up them seals. And when he opens them seals, there's going to be trouble down here on planet Earth. There'll be an antichrist that'll be revealed. There'll be wars that'll break out. The Bible talks about famines and shortages of food in different places. Even talks about that pale horse who's galloping through the earth that will have power to bring hell and death and destruction to a quarter of the whole earth. It's going to be trouble. But for us that hear that trumpet sound, we're going to be up there getting ready for that marriage supper of the Lamb, sitting down with the king, having received our rewards, waiting for the day when the tribulation period is done. And then the king comes back and for a thousand years we rule and reign with him on planet Earth. He said, I almost backslid until I came into the sanctuary and I knew their end. See, and since I know what's coming, That's why I can't turn my back on God and backslide. Oh, no. Passion has to become much more intense. My love for the king has to be fervent. And when other people are turning their backs on God, I'm going to live in the house of God. 
Yeah. I'm going to keep my face on the floor and pray and believe God. I realize I'm talking about a physical building now. We, we're the church. I know that. We're the church. God lives in us. Being in a building is not going to be any kind of uh, a special uh, safety and security for you. But I want you to understand that gathering together as saints is a powerful thing. Your faith added with her faith, with their faith. That creates a, a congregation of faith that believes in God. Miracles can happen. I mean, there was a man, he and his party of believers from Indianapolis uh, years ago, back in 1907, a prophecy came forth in that church and they decided to become missionaries, go to South Africa. So Brother Tom was over 60. Can you imagine taking your wife over the age of 60 and saying, let's go to Africa? Another man, Brother Lehman, took his wife and kids and Brother John Lake took his kids and 17 of them got tickets to get on the vessel to go to South Africa. They got to South Africa. They didn't even have any money. They didn't have any contacts. They just knew God put it on their hearts to go. And they got to Africa and they were standing in line because in order to disembark, you had to have a certain amount of money for them to let you in the country. But he says they were standing there without any money at all. There were people that were coming up to them on that ship that saw them holding church services on that boat and walked up to them and said, we just want to give you this little bit of money. God put this on our heart. Had all the money they need to, to come down that gangplank and get right into that country. They got onto land, didn't even have a place to stay because they didn't know anybody. But there was a lady running around out there looking for missionaries and they had never met her. She had never met them. And she was asking one person after another, are you a missionary? Did you see any missionaries on the ship? And the lady was told, well, those folks over there are coming from America. They're missionaries. She went to them and said, God spoke to me weeks ago and told me to put together a furnished house just for all of you. Seventeen people had a place to live. Because God spoke to a woman. Now she said God spoke to her prior. See, so that means God was already fixing this before they ever even knew it was coming together. Well, little by little, God started using them in the YMCA, the Baptist mission. Thousands of people were coming out. The power of God was present to heal. Miracle signs and wonders took place. They started the Apostolic Faith Church, which still goes on in South Africa and across Africa today. But, you know, Mr. Lake was a kind of unique guy. You know, I was reading some of his letters and articles this past week. Talks about in those days they had hundreds of people coming. They didn't have mass crusades where you prayed one prayer and multitudes of people were healed off of one prayer. They just one by one laid hands on people. And he was so weary. One time he told the folks, he said, look, folks, I, I can't go on laying hands on you like this. I'm so tired. They, he said, I'm going to lay my hands on the trunk of this tree. And I'm just going to ask God, somehow, Lord, put something, some residue of your presence and power in this tree. And said, you guys just come over here and touch this. And he made his way walking back to whatever village he lived in. They came and got him later in the day, said, you've got to come back. The crowd is double the size it was this morning because one person after another is being blessed, touching a tree. 
A plague broke out in South Africa. People were afraid to bury the dead. Blacks and whites were dying. And when Mr. Lake found out about it, he went out there with a shovel, started digging graves. And the doctors and other citizens were coming to him saying, you ought not do that. You're going to catch this. It's contagious. You could die. He said, look, somebody has to bury these people and give them a proper burial. But he said, besides that, he said, I'm not afraid. I'm not worried. He said, God in me is greater than whatever this disease is. Well, they said, we, we just don't think that can be, be so. He said, I'll prove it to you. He said, I want you one of these corpses over here because the bodies were piled up like cordwood out there. Nobody wanted to bury them. He said, I want you to get one of the folks out of our church, which was a doctor, and said, I want you to come and take a sample of saliva from one of these dead people. And I want you to take with those germs, I want you to place it right in the palm of my hand. And I'm going to put my hand under a microscope and I guarantee there's enough life in me that those germs will die. Sure enough, that's what they did. They put that germ in his hand under a microscope and they watched as that thing wrinkled around and moved and then stopped moving. Then he said, get another one. One by one, they did that. And all he said to them was the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus in me is greater than the law of sin and death. And then he went back with his shovel and started burying people again. Folks, all we have to do, walk in wisdom, trust God. But you've got to live. You have to live. You have to live. But just live with the presence of God. Live with the presence of God. Let's stand. God has good things ahead for you. Good things in store for me. God wants us to be passionate about How wonderful he is to never fear, to never disbelieve, but to trust him. And I believe if we do that, God will show himself strong. Amen.